Welcome to Notice History, the podcast where we notice the history all around us. We're your hosts, Robin Mullins, Nick Bridges, and Keely McCavitt. Before the rise of online shopping and shipment tracking came a simpler time, a time when Canadians conducted their shopping using catalogs. This year's Wishbook and the Eaton's catalog are probably the most memorable of these, but mail-order catalogs have been wildly successful throughout Canada's history. Perhaps you, like myself, have memories of pouring through the pages of the Sears Wishbook, carefully circling items in hopes of seeing them on Christmas morning. Or perhaps this is an entirely new concept to you. Either way... We invite you to join us as we notice the history of the catalog and how it shaped generations of Canadians' lives. So, did you guys have any memories growing up of using the Sears Wishbook or Eaton's or a different catalog, perhaps? Uh, I'd say mostly around Christmas time, looking at the Wishbook and circling all the stuff me and my brothers wanted. We obviously didn't get all of it, <laughs> or maybe a lot of it even, but we got some stuff, and uh, that's, that's probably my main memory. Does anything stand out in your memories of a specific item that you remember circling or really, I don't know, there are those things that I remember seeing every year, like the the matching bedding that was like Barbie bedding or like race car bedding. There was always like a full, you know, matching duvet and pillowcases and everything, and they were always for some new toy or something. It was great. Uh, As a child, I wasn't super enthusiastic about duvets. (laughs) Just me? (laughs) Yeah, just you, I think. But I was always super excited to see what Lego was available. Mm. For me, I had a very similar experience going through with my sister and circling the different things that we wanted. But every single year, moon boots would be in there. And every single year, little Keely circled moon boots because I had this dream that I would actually jump so high for real. Because the guy in the picture looked like he was having a great time. And I was like, they can't be dangerous at all. Never got them. And then as an adult, I met a friend who had them in their garage from their childhood. I tried them and they sucked. Let your dreams die. (laughs) Don't meet your heroes. (laughs) Never. (laughs) Moon boots. (laughs) I'm sure your parents just knew that they weren't going to live up to the hype. And so they were just making the right decision and not buying them. Or they saw them and thought, these things are ankle breakers. (laughs) Maybe. But I think the the real Christmas magic was believing in moon boots. For me, the real holiday magic was not even getting anything from the wish book, but more the experience of pouring through it. Mm. And I think that's many people's experiences. Today, we have a special segment for you. We had the opportunity to interview our very own Alina Hill's mother-in-law, Joanne Schofield. Joanne grew up on a farm in rural Alberta. While growing up, she has distinct memories of using the catalog with her sister and the rest of her family members to get specific items or toys or just things that the family needed. While she's now retired and tours the country with her husband, she's taken a moment to speak with our very own Robin Mullins about these experiences growing up. I'm speaking with Joanne Schofield, and you have quite an experience that you would like to um, to share with us and just kind of talk to us about what it was like growing up in Canada using mail order catalogs. Yes, I do. Thank you for joining us today. Glad to. So actually, maybe before we get into your experience with catalogs, you can tell us how you know the No History family. 
yes, well, my daughter-in-law works there. And uh, so she tells things about what she's working on. Uh, we visit with them quite extensively in the summer and we hang out with our grandsons while she's at work at No History. So we appreciate the business, the company and all it does. So that's Alina Hill Schofield, who, uh, who is your daughter-in-law. So we're very thankful to Alina for putting us in touch with you. So uh, maybe you can tell us a bit about when you first started using mail order catalogs. Thinking back about it, I don't remember a time when there wasn't a catalog that we would look through from a very, very early age. I really have no concept of when it started, but it was very, very early age. And uh, my sister and I, have, we wore that catalog out <laughs> looking through <laughs> it all the time. So, yeah, very early. I, I have some memories, too. It wasn't the the primary way that I that I bought anything, but the Sears wish book was a beloved oh, yes. item. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. So were there any catalogs in particular that your family used most often? We used Eaton's for a while, but it was primarily Sears. And uh, later on, I know that uh, we had a consumer's distributing catalog that came through. And then Regal, but Regal was somewhat different because somebody brought it to you. Uh, it was almost like a home thing. So I would say Sears is the main one. Yeah. Is there any reason why your family chose Sears over Eaton's? I don't know. I'm, you know, uh, maybe cost. Uh, Sears was more in the neighborhood. We lived in the country and we could get to a Sears catalog place to pick up things. Perhaps that was the reason, you know, I, I think it was more in our ballpark price and, and area. It was certainly more in, in my family's ballpark price as well, definitely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how did you guys get the catalogs received? Were they mailed to you or did they show up in your community? Well, you know what? Um when I was young, I remember there was a Sears catalog place in a mall in Edmonton. Now, we, as I said, we were out in the country, so we would pick up the catalog. Later on, it moved. Uh, there were catalog distribution places that were in closer communities, but we could pick it up. But later on, as you ordered, and depending on how much you ordered, they would actually send it out to you. You got it in the mail. So, hmm. but... Uh, uh, a lot of times you would just be in a Sears store and you could go and pick up or a, a distribution place and pick it up. Okay, that makes sense. So what kinds of items did your family generally order or did you even particularly go for? I, When I was a kid, no, it was mom and dad. They were the ones who would do the ordering. I remember putting in <laughs> suggestions, but it was primarily them. Now, later on, I did quite a bit of shopping. And my one sister, I think she kept Sears going for a very <laughs> long time because she ordered mega amounts from Sears. But uh, yeah, I, I did when I got older, but not when I was like a kid. What kinds of what kinds of things did you order when you were uh, older? Well, when we were kids, it was primarily gift things like for again from the wish book. Um, you kind of went through and you looked at it and you 
put in your wish list. And so those were primarily things that were ordered. But to be honest with you, my mom and dad were really good at keeping secrets. So I don't even know that they actually ordered because we weren't around when they were going to pick up orders or anything like that. So they could have been doing it and or not doing it. And I we wouldn't have known. Close a certain amount of time, but it was primarily when we were younger were gift things. Later on, lots of clothes. And then when I would shop when I was an adult and like particularly as I started having grandchildren, I would order gifts as well through there. I remember uh, circling and dog-gearing the pages of all the the precious items that I was hoping for. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Well, my sister and I, and this was not with just the wish book. This was with any catalog that came in. We would sit down and we would look at each page. And between the two of us, we would say, well, which thing do you like the best? And we would choose on every single page through how many pages would be in a big catalog. Hundreds. We did that. It was it was a ritual. We did it. <laughs> that would be a nice pastime, too, and a nice way to spend time with your sister. It was. And I even allowed her to choose the same thing as I chose. <laughs> <laughs> that was very nice of you. I, I. <laughs> so you've spoken a bit about how, you know, your parents did a pretty good job of keeping things yes. under wraps as far yes. as how much they were ordering. But do you have any sense of maybe how dependent your family was on ordering things through the catalogs, whether it be like everyday essentials or just things that they might need for um, the farm or anything? Um, Not so much on the farm. There would be, I'm trying to remember if there was like a McLeod's catalog and that would have been things that were more for not necessarily the farm, but, you know, little acreage farm type things. Uh, Sears a certain amount. We even looked at different appliances and so on. But later on, we were close enough. We weren't that far away from the city. And there was a Sears store. So we were able to go in to the city to look at actual items, like touch them and buy them there. So I, I don't know if there was the everyday need as much as special things. So is there a favorite special item that you can remember having or ordering maybe yourself that you received? I'm trying to think. My sister and I had bride dolls and uh, we had them for years. And uh, I am positive that mom bought them through the catalog. One was blonde like my sister and one was brunette like me. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so I'm positive of that. Um, My youngest sister, she was a Bay City Rollers fan. And so she had to have a plaid coat, Uh, you know, so (laughs) I'm trying to to think if there was other things. Yeah, I I would say like that our bride doll was the the big thing, you know. And I remember my husband talking Mm -hmm. about getting a sled and things like that through the catalog. Oh, that would be so fun. Mm -hmm. And now he did live in Edmonton, but there was five in their family. So I'm sure his dad didn't do, their mom and dad didn't do too much shopping. (laughs) Right. Well, yeah, I mean, even today, I mean, now we have online shopping, but the idea of taking the whole family into town to go into a store is a little daunting. I remember as a kid, we did not go into town very much, even though my mom and dad might have, but... I remember it was a before school started in the year and maybe another time during the year. And I mean, we were not that far away. It was just not something we did. So 
a catalog would have been a nice thing to even get an idea of what <laughs> what was out there. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like a special ritual, like you said. It's, it is a ritual. Not a ritual. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's nice. So, I mean, we kind of mentioned a bit about how ordering things online and being able to order things in a catalog saves parents from having to go in with their kids. Do you see any other similarities to the experience of buying online today to how it was for you going through the catalogs? Well, in a a certain degree, I've started ordering a lot more online because we live a very uh, (laughs) vagabondish life. We live in our fifth wheel. And so we do a lot of traveling. And so we need to be able to, I, I won't be near a particular store and be back there to get something. So I look online for things a lot of times. And because it's got pictures and everything like that, it is in a way kind of like a, a catalog shop. The only thing is I don't have my sister there now <laughs> beside me uh, making a choice. <laughs> <laughs> Which I, I bet would probably make it a bit easier. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's really exciting. Those are really interesting experiences that you've had. There are still a few catalogs that are floating around out there. I mean, I think Avon is still, to some degree, I've seen the Tupperware ones. Do you think that they will still play a role in the future? Well, you know, I can't see that Avon, and I never even thought about Avon, but Avon is sort of like a thing in our community that there was always an Avon lady. You know, we had a mm-hmm. Watkins man. We For a while, we had a Fuller Brush man. And they would always leave catalogs, now that I come to think about. And so then you could always refer back to it. And they would come to you rather than uh, having to, you know, go online or anything like that. So maybe it's just my age or something. But I think that some things may not change like the uh, Watkins man and the Avon lady. But then I was just looking the other day and I read something. I was going to buy something from Amazon and I read something where they are beginning to think that they need to get a catalog, you know, uh, actual physical catalog rather than everything online. And I considered that, wow, that's going sort of back to the root idea, back to your roots idea. I don't know. I, I receive the IKEA catalog, you know, every spring oh, and fall, yes. and um, think about kind that. of similar because we're very transient and we don't have very much room. We can't afford to have very many things in the way of catalogs in our house. So yes, we use the IKEA catalog as well. Now that's me. Now IKEA wasn't around when I was a kid, so yeah, but it's certainly still a staple. It seems, yeah. or or it's common enough that they're still sending them right and a lot of people like to have something hands-on to look through to get an idea make decisions and so on so or they're they can't get to an ikea store they can't get to a, a whatever store and so then that way and even with flyers coming out now a lot of flyers are almost like mini catalogs because they have even recipes in them uh, and so on like that. So it's it's not just a, a basic thing. It, there's more information within a flyer than a basic thing. So are there any other um, stories that you'd like to share or any other recollections maybe? The only one I can think of is uh, 
neighbors of ours <laughs> never had, and, and, and this is not going any place, Tracy, but they never had an indoor toilet for many years. So they used their Eden's catalog to keep everybody entertained in the bathroom, <laughs> in the toilet, the outhouse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I thought you were going to say that they used it yes, instead of toilet I paper. You, I know you thought that, but no, that's not what they used. <laughs> there was too many girls in the family who wanted to look through the catalog. So no, they used uh, the catalog, you know, entertainment while they were in the outhouse. Well, certainly a good use. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for making time for us today. Glad to do it. And uh, yeah. all the best with uh, this project. Yeah, thank you so much. As Joanne Schofield had mentioned in our interview, you know, that was a ritual that she and her sister went through every year. And while I didn't have a sibling to go through and pour through the catalogs with, it was still very much, you know, a fun Saturday morning activity where I would sit down and go through everything and, yes, go through the duvet pages. I went through every page because you never knew what you were going to see. So maybe I think I skipped over the tool section because, like, they were tools. They always had lots of really interesting drapes. Was that something as well? Looking at duvets and then matching drapes. <laughs> they always had like record players and old time like jukebox. But I they remember were, those. Yeah, but they were like CD players, but they look like a jukebox. And I was like, oh, how mysterious. <laughs> I wonder if they are still in there today. All right. So clearly we've all experienced catalogs. I know that not everyone has had this experience, but it seems to be a pretty, pretty common experience. Perhaps not so much for children these days. Part of the nostalgia of the holiday season for me is remembering those or being able to see them being delivered. It's, it's exciting. Using mail order catalogs isn't exclusively something that our generation and our parents' generation have done. It actually goes way further back than I previously thought. The origins of mail order catalogs can be traced actually all the way to the Industrial Revolution, which made mass production of goods possible and resulted in the rise of the department store. By the late 1800s, department stores began using catalogs to extend their reach to new markets. One of the first mail-order catalogs was created in 1871 for the Albemarche department store in Paris, which sold goods throughout Europe and Africa. The first mail-order catalog to be published in Canada was the 1882 catalog for Carsley's department store in Montreal, so not that far behind. And two years later, Eaton's published its first catalog called The Wishing Book. The 1894 Eaton Spring and Summer catalog spanned 180 pages, and an example of something in there was a guitar cost only $2.50. That's right, $2.50. But in 1894's economy, so... So a lot more, of course. <laughs> we need to account for inflation. That's true, but man, inflation's been a doozy. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'm really impressed, 180 pages in 1894, that's a very sizable catalog. You've got a growing middle class who wants to flex their muscles and spend their money. On guitars. Mm -hmm. It's no surprise that mail-order catalogs have become wildly successful after these first forays into it. Some spanned hundreds of pages and included custom cover art and advertisements and sold millions of copies. Mail-order catalogs, like the department stores themselves, offered both everyday items like pots and pans as well as luxury items such as jewelry. In the 1910s and 20s, you could even order an entire house through the Eaton's catalog. Just pick your blueprint, pay the fee, and the building materials would be shipped straight to you. During the First and Second World Wars, catalogs were also used to get goods to Canadian troops overseas. However, the mail-order catalogs weren't well-received by everyone. Local shopkeepers struggled to compete with the mail-order giants, especially during the Great Depression. I think there's a lot of 
parallels to what's happens today with things like Instagram as a marketing tool and online shopping for small businesses. I think there's a lot of parallels. There's always that struggle between local business and these sort of multinational giants that have a lot more power, I guess, in the marketplace. And again, as discussed in our interview with Joanne Schofield, there are still flyers that are being distributed. And oftentimes those flyers, you know, you get bigger flyers from Ikea and from other big chain restaurants than you do of local places because it's just harder for them to circulate things. Sometimes they're able to group together and you'll get those little booklets that will have coupons to lots of local places or they'll band together and sign up for things like Skip the Dishes or Uber Eats. But generally speaking, it is still very much the the larger corporations that have the monopoly. And she even mentioned that Amazon's considering a catalog of their own. Yeah. So we'll have to see what will uh, occur with that. But that could very radically change the way that people shop. In 1945, Sears began competing with Eaton's to sell goods in Canada. By 1962, Eaton's had downsized and was only successful in Western and Atlantic Canada. In 1976, Eaton stopped offering its catalog entirely, making Sears the most successful mail-order catalog in Canada. But that hasn't stopped it from still being part of our culture, because if you remember the hockey sweater story, that's been a huge influence in people's memories, and that's specifically about an Eaton's catalog. In case you were thinking that mail-order catalogs were only used in you know, more commercial means for buying objects or presents, Frank Dojasek, who moved to Winnipeg from Bohemia in 1903, established a successful printing and mail-order business to sell books in various languages to new Canadians. So it's interesting to see that the mail-order catalog isn't really just for middle or upper-class people. It's getting to all levels of society, even new Canadians, who might not even speak English yet. And those weren't the only people. Department store warehouses were a significant employer for women, and rural women found mail-order catalogs provided access to the world of fashion for them, which they otherwise might not have. In the early 20th century, they rarely purchased ready-to-wear clothing from catalogs. Instead, they ordered fabric and sewing supplies so they could copy the designs from the catalogs themselves and the fashion magazines at a much lower price. Pretty smart. I mean... I'm surprised that the catalogs didn't figure out that, like, selling both fabric and then also having images of fashionable clothes maybe might mean that people would just order. Like, these are very entrepreneurial women for being able to create their own dresses based off of just seeing it pictured in a magazine. That's awesome. I could not do that. But you would think that someone might have caught on to that and maybe decided to not sell fabric and force them to just buy the clothes. It's definitely from when people had a different skill set, right? When women growing up had to make their own clothes. Like When my mom was growing up, she even had to make a lot of her own clothes. I think it'd be such a good skill to have because, I don't know, I can sew a button. That's it. That's all I got. So if I was in that case, I would just be wearing the catalog stapled into a dress or something. Some rural communities got their mail through catch post service only. Mail trains did not stop to unload. Instead, train workers would heave the mailbags off the train to be collected by the local postman. Catalog companies and the Postal Service advised consumers not to order anything too fragile if they lived in a cash post district. Can you imagine that? Poor kids, poor people. But (laughs) but when you think about it, that would severely limit, I would think, some of the things that they'd be able to order. Mm -hmm. In the 1930s, Eaton's Toronto office of 1,100 staff processed 30,000 mail orders each day, while the Winnipeg office of 1,000 staff processed over 40,000. Now that we've given you some background on catalogs history generally, we'll dive a little bit deeper into the Mary Maxim catalog. 
Mary Maxim was founded in Sifton, Manitoba by Willard and Olive McFedrian, who owned a woolen mill and wanted to break into the hand-knitting market, a very lucrative market, apparently. They hired designers to develop graph-style knitting patterns for consumers. Designer Barry Gibson developed and copyrighted easy-to-read diagrams that have largely replaced prose knitting instruction. So I'm not sure how much knitting the two of you do on the reg, but, you know, I, I did a little bit growing up, and I still find the instructions to be very difficult. I, I, it's just a, it's a different language that I haven't really learned to read yet, but I can't imagine the days before those instructions existed. Mm. Like, if that's the easy-to-read diagrams and stuff, like, what were people doing before that? I'm thinking, typically, people have always transferred knitting knowledge to one another. Just like, that's how my family learned. It's the same knowledge passed down on and on, so no one can knit very well. But <laughs> <laughs> there's that base level. Right. I, don't, I, I haven't tried reading the instructions. I only learned to knit just recently. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting that the Mary Maxim catalog really opened up this new avenue for people who maybe didn't grow up in families where knitting was a custom and didn't have that background knowledge to be able to just dive in. It would have been very overwhelming to try to read some of those instructions that presuppose a certain amount of knowledge or just not everybody learns by reading. Some people, it's helpful to have a visual aid. And so I think it's really interesting that they decided that this was something that needed to be done and that it opened up a whole kind of world and skill set for people who maybe were interested but felt that it was a bit daunting. And if you want to dive in and try some of their patterns yourself, the first Mary Maxim pattern, the reindeer, is still available. And we'll have that up on our website. So you can check out our show notes, go to our blog, and um, we'll have the link to that available for you. From 1947 onward, marketing portrayed Mary Maxim as a real individual who personally ran the business, even though she was actually a made-up woman, kind of like Betty Crocker, and borrowed the name from the McFidrian's housekeeper, Mary Maximichuk. So, quote-unquote, Mary would occasionally receive valentines and love notes alongside pattern orders. That'd be kind of fun for your, like, made-up person to start receiving actual fan mail. <laughs> you could live vicariously through them kind of like being a ghostwriter i would think you know mm-hmm. having a like a different pen name or even having like radio show hosts they don't always use their actual names kind of similar to that except on a knitting level they moved the business to paris ontario in 1954 to be closer to customers as well as suppliers and i have been to this location many times because i used to drive through paris mm-hmm. back when i lived in flamborough and my parents would stop there and we would get different little crafts for me And it was so much fun. It really opened up a whole new world for me that I otherwise wouldn't have been as interested in. Mail-order catalogs didn't just challenge small businesses. They also reinforced gender stereotypes. A 2016 UK study by the group Let Toys Be Toys reviewed six toy catalogs and found a number of troubling issues. The first being only 11% of children playing with cars or other vehicles were girls, and those that were girls were almost always shown with pink versions of toys. And 97% of children playing with guns and weapons and war toys were boys on the other side of that. Only 13% of children playing at, quote, caregiving activities were boys, and only one catalog include any boys playing with fashion or baby dolls. Girls were twice as likely as boys to be shown playing with, quote-unquote, household toys, though many toy kitchens were pictured with girls and boys playing together. But kitchens weren't the only thing that girls were more likely to be shown at. Girls were twice as likely to be seen with art, craft, and music toys. Whereas boys were more than twice as likely to be shown using construction toys. 
So some of this is being turned around by different commercials and ads and, and other groups, but largely, you know, mail catalogs were for a very long time the way that most people ordered their items and got their toys for different holidays or, you know, birthday presents. So it's, I think, still meaningful to note that this has been the pattern. And while it is slowly changing, it is still very pervasive. And it definitely played a role in how we associate certain items with different genders, like tools with men, kitchen items with women. That's why I wasn't interested in the tool section of the Sears Wish Book. Exactly. It all comes back to catalogs. But even despite those deficiencies, the catalogs have actually had a very important role in Canada's history. They've shaped the way that people all across Canada have ordered their items and gotten the supplies and the materials that they've needed for life, but also for the work that they do, whether it's ordering farm supplies through a catalog or other building materials, such as the house that you could order, or, you know, just saws and and all the different tools of the trade that you might be participating in. These were a really important way for people who didn't live in a central community to be able to get access to the materials that they needed to be successful in a life in Canada. So we're so thankful to Joanne Schofield, our own Alina Hills mother-in-law, for being willing to participate in giving us just a glimpse of what her experience was in the prairies and at a slightly different time, and being able to see how this really is a typical Canadian experience for many people, even if it may be on its way out. However, we do still get the IKEA catalogs, and we do still get lots of other types, and online shopping can be seen as a very similar experience to mail-order catalogs, so perhaps it's not on its way out entirely. You may not be getting the Sears Wishbook delivered to your door this year, but you'll probably get some form of catalog delivered over the next year, and we hope that the next time that happens, instead of immediately throwing it into your recycling bin, we hope that maybe you'll be prompted to remember some of the memories that you had growing up or thinking on some of these experiences that have shaped Canada's history. And now you're in the know. Notice History is a No History podcast. We are produced by Emily Cuggy and myself, Robin Mullins. This week's researchers were Sarah Wilmshurst, Todd Brown, Alina Hill, and Stacey Devlin. Special shout out to Alina Hill for hooking us up with your mother-in-law, Joanne Schofield. And also special thank you to Joanne Schofield for joining us for that wonderful interview. We appreciate you so much. Audio mixing was done by Emily Cuggy and myself, as well as Jennifer Bate. For more information about the topics we covered today, check out our blog at nohistory.ca slash podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at podcast at nohistory.ca or reach out to us on social media at Notice History. If you like what you hear, tell your friends and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.